0: referenced it a little bit. I was going to say it when I came up here. Um, Just so you guys know, I am by nature kind of more long-winded when it comes to speaking and especially preaching, so I'll try to keep it succinct and concise, but as Josh already mentioned, it seems like it's going to go over just a little bit, so as long as you guys are cool with that, then I'm cool with that, but if you guys don't know me, my name's Shay. I oversee the young adults ministry here at our church, so if you're 18 to 30 years old and want to come hang out on a Friday night, um, that's kind of like our growth group. It's like a growth group, it's not quite a growth group, but just come on Friday and you'll come see. Friday is 6.30, come find me, one of the other young adults, we'll get you plugged in. Um, if you're not a young adult, then I apologize because you're missing out, um, so try and fix that if you can, and if you can't, then I, there's not much we can do about it, um, but a few things about me, I'm 25, or about to be 25 years old in two weeks, I have three wonderful sisters, none of them are actually here today, but they're still wonderful, and I love plants. Um, if, if you don't know me, that's like kind of a huge part of my life, it's, it's been maybe coming up on two years now, but I really love plants, and as we're going through the I Am statements today, I'm, I'm going to be preaching on the true vine which is like, why, why, why would I not take that opportunity to talk about my love for plants? Um, because plants are so cool. Like, you see them, like, there's so many different kinds. They're so individualized, and uh, they need special care for each one, and you get to see them grow up. It's kind of like being a parent, but I'm not a parent yet, so I'm a plant parent. Um, and this is, this, is my, uh, this is my way of expressing that. But in my love for plants, I actually brought one to show you guys today. Um... This guy right here, he's, uh, he's called a monstera. And just so you know, like this guy, I actually planted because I cut off a leaf from a different plant and like put it in water and it grew roots and I'm, I planted it and now it's all big and nice and pretty. And if you notice, it has, it has pretty, pretty splits in the leaves and they just, if you let it, it'll literally grow to the size of a tree, like with all of these leaves spitting out. And this is like one of my favorite plants here. There's so many beautiful ones though. Um, But as I started getting into plants, um, at the very beginning, I saw this one plant that was like beautiful, like from the start, like I was like, I need this plant. And the reason I brought this up is because it's actually like a different version of this big plant here. Um, This is a Monstera. The one that I want is called an Albino Monstera. And then all that means is like it has little white, uh, little white, I don't know, like it looks kind of painted white and it's, it's like super rare and it's super beautiful and it's like a super sought after plant. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty difficult to get, a, get your hands on one. But about two weeks ago, I actually went and bought one. And so Tony, if you could bring that to me because I want to show everyone. Since I got into plants, this is the plant that I've been wanting. And I've been like waiting for the right time, and um, so I know this guy's really little, and he's not that big yet. But this is like, and we got a picture up here if you can't see. But this is like by far my favorite plant. This is my pride and joy. It has special soil, special plant food. Like, takes all this effort, and and I'm just so stoked to have it. Um, don't freak out too much. Um, so this, this little guy right here, um, I spent $200 on. Um, yeah, I, I know, I know, it's, it's a lot. But hear me out here, there's, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, like I said, I've been wanting this plant. Um, and I have this Monstera, and this Monstera is also beautiful, but it's not quite the one that I want. It doesn't quite live up to the same, you know, look, look how pretty this guy is. He even's got the splits on the little leaf. This leaf's fully white. Um, it doesn't live up however this little guy that i spent 200 dollars on if he was this size he would be about a thousand dollars like worth a thousand dollars and i got this size plant in about maybe six months nine months tops um but even even past the money it's it's something that i i get to enjoy in its fullness in in what it is and so the reason why i had to bring up this plant to talk about this plant is because though this, though this may seem pretty, um, it still does not fulfill the role that, that I wanted this one. Like this, this one was the one that was sought after and this one could never live up to that. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because as, as we go through this I Am series, um, Jesus saying who he is, uh, there, it's important to look at the context of what's going on, and, and I think especially for this passage in John 15, as I am the true vine, um, because it's like it, it can explain it out. And it's like that makes sense, but the Old Testament talks so much about the idea of what it means um, this this idea of the vine, um, and so as as we go through that, I wanna I wanna kind of do a little bit of a. A dive into the Old Testament context of this idea of the vine. Um, The imagery of the vine was commonly used throughout the Old Testament, and when this metaphor was used, it was used to refer to Israel as God's people. Like, so when it talked about the vine that was planted, it would be referring to Israel, um, God being the one who planted the vine. And most of the time, it was in reference to their failure to fulfill the role as that vine. The vine was meant to to share the beauty of God with the world and to bear fruit. And oftentimes Israel was unable to do that for a multitude of reasons. And so when the vine was used, it was often paired with the threat of God's judgment upon Israel. Because despite God's faithfulness to his people, they would still often and willingly turn from him as if they felt that they were entitled to receive favor from God, or intimacy with him, or to have a special relationship with him. And so in that, I want to take a quick second to ask, like, does that at all sound familiar to something that you've experienced, maybe people that you've interacted with, maybe even us, that, that I'm not here to point you out. However, I feel like it's very common for us to to walk in a way to think that God is privileged to be involved in our lives. That in our, our uh, pursuit of whatever goals we have in life, that God's, God's riding shotgun with us while we're the driver and that he's lucky to be in the car with us. And if that's the case, like maybe, maybe that's someone you know, maybe that's even us, um, I, I wanna say that I'm not here to shame or condemn you, However, like let's take a look at the situation as it is. God, who before time created everything, including humans, and he wanted to dwell um, with his people. Those people chose to rebel against God because they felt that they knew better. And in that, sin entered into the world, putting a wedge between man and God. However, God, in his mercy and his grace, continued to pursue his people, showing them steadfast love and faithfulness time and time again. He had delivered them from trials, from their enemies, from, um, from political issues, plagues, and, all, and the list goes on. And yet, even after God repeatedly showed his constant faithfulness, um, his people still chose to follow their pride, turn from him, and turn to their own ways. And this, this is seen all throughout the Old Testament, that the people of God who are supposed to reflect gratitude towards an all-loving God and show how worthy he really is um, they often chose to go the opposite way. And we often see that through the language of the vine. And so um, one, of the, one of the most prominent ways that we would see is in Psalm 80, which we're actually going to have on the screen. Um, here we see the psalmist reference Israel as the vine that God had planted. It says, starting in verse 4, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches, It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So here we see that the psalmist is is crying out about how this this vine that was taken from Egypt and planted was once prosperous and a blessing to the nations, is now being ravaged and torn apart. And we know it's talking about Israel because it says, you delivered your vine from Egypt. That's referencing the Exodus where God um, brought them out of slavery. And when it talked about him planting them as a vine, it's showing how God was the one who established them as a nation, meant to bless all nations and glorify Yahweh. Though they seemed to be fruitful initially, that their branches went out and that they were blessing others, um, they still eventually chose their own path, failing to fulfill their purpose that God gave them and failing to be the vine that God had planted them to be. So here they are, aware of the fact that God had turned his face from his people and that he showed judgment upon them. And so they were seeking that God would restore them. And that's not exclusive with, this, with just this passage in the Old Testament. In Hosea, um, God calls Israel, this is a very similar situation. He says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit, and the more the fruit increased, the more altars they built. The country improved, and he improved his pillars, but now their heart is false. They must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars." and this is seen all over Ezekiel and Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 19 um, but also it's seen in Isaiah 5 and Jeremiah 2 where um, it talks about God planting these choice vines like these these are the ones these are the ones that he wanted and he goes and plants them but what these vines produced were wild vines and wild grapes which are which are far from anything that God had desired for them and so so bringing it back to my little plant guy here real quick. Um, part of the reason why these plants are, why it was so touchy trying to find this plant is because a lot of people will pay hundreds of dollars for, this, for even a small plant like this and still not get what they want. It's possible that these leaves could grow out and not have these little splits in them that make part of what makes it so beautiful. Um, this plant can actually grow out and lose all of the white That's still in that came from the plant, and so even though I have a plant right here that it's like this is exactly what I want, um, it's it's possible that this could mature and grow into something that looks like this or even worse. And I think that's kind of what we see, what we see here with God and with Israel, that though He delivered His people, though He got this choice vine. Though it seems that they are going to continue forth and praise him for what he's done, um, the result that comes is far from what he, had, what he had desired for them. And so Israel was established as God's vine to bear good fruit, to witness his glory to the nations. And they failed time and time again, And which is why here we need Jesus. Here is when Jesus enters into the picture. And we could even see that in, in Psalm 80, what we had just read, it says how, let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you made strong for, him, for yourself. That, that God knew that the vine was, was failing and that he would have to raise up the you know, son of man reference, prophecy, all that fun Bible stuff. Um, that as God was to restore them and let his face shine upon them, it would be through Christ. And so as we enter into this passage, we now get to see who Jesus is. That it's, he's not just a vine, he is the vine. He's the true vine, the one that actually is able and the one that has come to fulfill um, what God had planned for them. Jesus bore fruit in his life that the Father may be glorified. And because of Christ and his fulfillment, we are now able to come into communion with God without judgment. And so how does this happen? So coming back to our original passage, John 15, if you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to join me here. And if not, it'll be on the screen. John 15, starting in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So here, starting, starting at the beginning of the passage, it, it intros by saying Jesus here is the true vine. He is the fulfillment of all those Old Testament failings. And not only is he the vine, but the Father is the vine dresser. And and why that's significant here, I feel like we often don't don't talk about this enough, is that part of Jesus's fulfillment as the true vine is that he was reliant upon the Father, just as a garden needs a gardener to tend to the tend to the garden to maintain and to upkeep it that it may flourish. Uh, Jesus was tended to by the Father; that they had time together, they spent um, communion together, that. Jesus may actually be able to fulfill that role. And since Jesus is connected to the Father, therefore we are able to be connected to the Father because he is our mediator. And um, going on into verse 2, it talks about the Father taking away branches and pruning branches. Um, And this, this taking away or pruning was dependent upon whether or not there was fruit coming from it. And so coming back to plants, it's like, this, I've probably cut in the last six months, maybe four leaves off of this plant. So I could have left it. And that would have been, there would have been like 10 leaves there. And it would have, you know, in theory been better, but I, it had to be pruned because what this pruning does, it it cuts away what is dead, that it may grow more and that it may flourish more. And it's a hard concept because it's like, if it's good, why would you rip it out? Why would you um, why would you mess with it? But this is, this is the way that these plants work, and I think this is the way that God is addressing how he works with us and with Christ. And so there's actually a Bible commentator that talks about this passage, and he says that this verse insists that there are actually no true Christians without some measure of fruit, because fruit is an infallible mark of true Christianity. It says that the dead branches that are cut off and thrown away, that there were no life in them. They have never borne fruit or else they would never have been cut off in the first place. And he would, he would say that it's impossible to think that one could be attached to the true vine for long without bearing fruit. Because if, if they were attached to the true vine and bore no fruit, then it would call into question whether or not Jesus was actually sufficient in being the vine. And I know this sounds harsh, but the next verse, I think, gives a little more understanding into this context. Because in verse 3, it talks about, um, you are already clean because of the words I've spoken. And this moment here is where this I am statement breaks away from the rest. Um, Many of the I am statements that Pastor Josh had preached through and then Pastor Mark one week, um, they, they have an invitation to come and follow Jesus. It's like, if you are away from him, come and follow This one's a little bit different. This one, he's saying, you are already clean. So this this is a command to those who are already in Christ, those who are with him. And so this this idea of abiding is is more than just believing because the people that he's speaking to are already believing. And I think that bodes well for us in church because you know, if you've been in church a while, it's like, well, this is for the new believer. I'll wait for the stuff for me. It's like, no, this is, this is for us here. If, if you are not yet in Christ, it, the call is to come to Christ. And if you are in Christ now, the call is to abide. And so in this idea of abiding and remaining, being more than just believing in God, believing that he's God and that he's faithful and he does all these things, um, this is actually a call to live in communion with Christ, This is a call to be dependent upon God, to no longer be the one in the driver's seat with God in the passenger seat. This is to recognize God as who God is and allow him to have his role in our life that that he should have. Because even the vine, even the vine is dependent upon the vine dresser. And so us as the branches are still to depend here upon the vine. And this is a kind of Mutual indwelling. He says, abide in me and I abide in you. This is as Christ is in us here, we are also in him. This, this is more than just believing. This is walking with him. This is being in union with Christ. And this is the main focus of this whole passage because Christ is in the Father and the Father is in him. And now with Jesus as the mediator, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. It's the continual dependence on the vine Constant reliance upon him, that there is that persistent spiritual growth and maturing um, is an essential condition for our spiritual life and fruitfulness. And so, moving on um, later into the second half of verse five, um, Jesus relates our fruit bearing capability upon the defend- dependence upon the Father. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And um, it talks. This talks a lot about fruit, and we'll we'll get around to that more. But um, if we're not in Christ, Christ is not in us. Then, then living our life, being a good person, doing all the right things, it's it doesn't it doesn't count for anything really. Um, that there is nothing that can bring us to Christ. There's nothing that we can impress God with with how we live. And so He calls us to bear fruit in Him, and this bearing of fruit. Um, there's many things that it could be, but it's really, it's all the demonstrations of the vitality of our faith. So so things that express that, I, that there is true faith, that Christ is abiding. And that can be a lot of things. But this, this faith in Christ, this abiding, that's seen through verses one through six, um, these emphasize this trust in Christ, this dependence upon him. And moving into verse seven, where he says, um, if you, or sorry, lost it. Um, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever, you're, whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This, this is re, um, emphasizing Christ's words and his revelation to us that as we abide in him, as we walk with him, that, that our prayers would be dominated by his will, that our prayers would be in submission to who God is and his worthiness. And our desire within those prayers, the things that we ask of God, will be in service to the kingdom of God. That as we come to him and it's like, the word says that I ask and you shall receive, knock and the door will be opened. That that when I ask, he'll give me these things. It's like, where's the conflict there? What's going on? It's as we abide in Christ and, and he rules our lives, that our prayers will then be in service to him. Because Because the the true measure of the vine dwelling in us is seen in the way that we love and the way we keep his commands and the way that we walk faithfully for him. Um, And in this this relationship with God, in this abiding, um, the entire source and support of our faith is grace. As we receive grace and when we receive him, as we walk in grace as we abide in him that everything everything is a matter of favor given by God that we'd never deserved in the first place. We don't we don't will ourselves to be strong enough to live for God. That in in the midst of our busy life it's like I'm just going to lock it down and live my life for God and no one's going to tell me otherwise. It's as we walk and we bear fruit in God, it's it's all in connection to his grace. It's all a result of his kindness and compassion to us, his constant pursuing of his people and showing his faithfulness and steadfast love to us. And so I know I kind of, I kind of blew through um, this, this John 15 passage here. However, um, this passage talks a lot about bearing fruit, a lot about fruitlessness and being cast out and, and bearing fruit through Christ and you can't do it without him. Um, and so I feel like it could be easy to walk away. It's like, all right, I got to bear fruit. I got I to gotta show that I'm really here for Christ. I got to show that I'm about this thing, that this is my life. Um, and, and I think more than showing fruit, the purpose of this passage is not the result. The purpose of the passage is not to show that I am, I am in my word. I am praying on my knees for hours every day. The purpose of this passage is a call for God's people to abide, to remain in him. And what does that look like? In our young adults group, we've been going through Philippians, and uh, Paul talked about all of his things that he he has on paper that show us how great he is. And he says, I count all of that as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And then he goes on to talk about just clinging to, clinging to the resurrection, clinging to our faith in Christ that depends on God. Because whether we know what we're doing or not, whether we know how to walk and act and live, or we're just like, ah, oh, I don't know if that's right. Like, I feel like I'm trying to honor God, but I'm not sure. Like, people are telling me mixed things. Um, we can come and cling to the grace that was given to us by Christ on the cross. That we know that as Christ is shown favor by the Father. That as we are in Him, we are shown the same that that favor. That we we have the assurance that that Christ is actually sufficient. That that apart from all of these things, that Christ really is sufficient, that that in our call to abide in him, that we actually will be satisfied and that we actually will bear fruit. And that's not because it's like, oh man, all my hard times are gone. We're good to go. It's, no, the the fulfillment of Christ as the true vine actually brings fulfillment in us as well. Because that fulfillment, as it goes off to bless the nations and glorify God, in verse 8, it talks about bearing fruit and proving to be um, the disciples, or his disciples, and in that, the Father is glorified. Because that was Christ's goal. It actually says um, at the end of verse, sorry, chapter 14, I don't have it here, but um, it talks about Jesus doing as the Father commanded so the world may know that he loves the Father. And so here we are then called also to keep his commands. Not as a matter of proving that we can do it or proving that we are his believers, But as we abide, these things come out in the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we walk, and thus glorifying the Father. Because I would argue that that's that's what we're doing here, is that we we are in submission to recognizing the reality of who God is, that he may receive all the glory far beyond anything that we do deserve anything. That that in the midst of all of this, that the Father is here to glorify the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son. That God is constantly like pointing to one another. That the Father is like, here, look at my Son. Look at how great He is. And the Son is like, look at the Father. like Don't, don't look to me. I'm going to send the Spirit and the Spirit's going to get you through this. And the Spirit then points us to the Son and the Spirit points us to the Father. That, that God is in a, like eternal, rotating, just pointing to the glory of God. And that's, that's what we are brought into as we abide, that we recognize truth in what it is, in the reality of who God is, that we may see the world clearly. We see things for how they truly are. All creation meant to glorify God. And so as we, as we come into that, um, I, I pray for us, that that we may abide, that our that our labor would not be done in vain, that that we recognize that the fact that Christ is the vine and we are the branches is nothing short of a treasure given to us by God. That I ah, Morgan's gone. Um, I, I talked about this with Morgan probably about two months ago. Um, we heard like this this idea of. Of Christ as our treasure. And and I feel like we don't use that language, but Christ as our treasure is I I don't even have words for it. Amen. Christ Christ is a treasure. And here we are gifted this this wonderful gift of being able to be in Him. And so, so as we as we go forth, um remain Remain in Christ. Um, this isn't do better. This is abide in Him. This isn't read your Bible and pray. This is spend time with God. And as you spend time with God, it's often through these ways: through fellowship, through communion, through worship, through prayer and Scripture. Um, and so, in that, let me pray us out. Lord God, um, thank you for your mercy and grace on us. Um, that as your people, have an extensive track record of turning from you in the midst of your kindness, that you continue to pour out your grace on us, Um, that you showing your grace is not dependent upon our accepting of that grace, that you pour out your grace abundantly um, without, without refraining on us. And so we thank you, um, Lord, I pray that that you would guide us to abide. Um, And if we're not quite sure what that looks like or what that means, Lord, I pray that that you would continue to reveal that to us in our time with you and our time with others. And above all of that, Lord, I, I pray that as we abide, that you may be glorified in everything that we do. We love you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.